Welcome to the Long Come Norwich podcast. Sometimes you're 10 points clear of second place and you don't have time to create some kind of onomatopoeic or alliterative intro. You just have to get straight into it. Michael Bailey, welcome to the Long Come Norwich podcast. Hello, Tom. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much for, for joining. John Punt, you're also on the line as well. I am. Hello. Isn't it exciting to be so clear and so comfortable and isn't it nice to have proven a certain person wrong about there not being a standout team in the league? Don't you think, Michael? Yeah, I mean that was sort of rumbling in the back of my head all the way, all the way ahead of the game on uh, on Wednesday. And I, I honestly think it was in the back of Daniel Farker's mind as well because he kept bringing up the comparison with Leeds from last season, which I loved. He just kept saying it, and um, yeah. In fairness to Thomas Frank, he 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 was very magnanimous whilst you probably still wouldn't trust him that he was doing it just to see if Norwich would you know, then go and trip over themselves, which might happen, who knows? But um, yeah, there's some, I don't quite trust Thomas Frank. I don't know why, but uh, I think um, I think Norwich did enough to put them a, a little bit in their place, Brentford, a little bit. Yeah, there was a, I think our mate, I think it was our mate Adam Brandon who did a poll of, is it mind games or um, magmanosity? Um, do it. He didn't use that word. Um <laughs> Uh, Nor did you, probably. After that, after the game, you know, i.e., is it mind games? Him saying, you know, that they've won it now; they're not going to blow it from here. And I think it probably was a pathetic attempt at mind games. But just to, to look into it, punt. Twelve games left. We can effectively afford to lose six of them. It's it's a big ask for the teams chasing us for us to lose six games in the last twelve when we've lost five from thirty-four, isn't it? Yeah, it it would be a collapse of Wolverhampton Wanderers style proportions to to blow it from here, um, and you just you can't see it happening. You're bang right. I mean, Frank's comments were desperate mind games that you know just aren't going to work. I mean, this Norwich squad doesn't seem phased by any kind of external pressures, and they know that it's all on them. They know that they're if they turn up, that they're good enough. Um, and they did turn up last night and they were more than good enough and bested a, a Brentford side who I'd been really impressed with in the in the return fixture. So, no, I can't, you just can't see us imploding from here. It, it would be something that would have to go spectacularly wrong um, of like Emmy and Timu getting injured both at the same time and then perhaps a, a, you know, a couple of suspensions. or it, it, That would be the only thing that could blow it really. Yeah, I think it. I think it would need to be something along the lines of Emmy plus both centre backs. Um, you see what I mean? Like if 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 we lost Gibson and Hanley, um, because because going to your point of you can't see us can't see us blowing it from here. Um, you can easily see it, see us losing three or four games. Um, especially if we don't need to, if you see what I mean. I.e., when we look back at the end of this twelve-game run, we might have we might have lost four of them because actually the last two we we weren't playing anywhere near as hard as the the, the, the teams that we're playing around. You know, because the teams we're playing are in and are going to be in and around it those last three. Um, but with the way we defended last night, the way that we. Um, Brentford basically looked nothing like they did earlier in the season and like they the free-scoring team they'd looked before didn't manage a shot on target. And that was simply because we played the game last night um, like uh, the old, that old-fashioned kind of um, 
it, the old fashioned kind of cliche of someone with long arms holding a little small person at arm's length as they kind of swing at them. You know, it, it was just men and boys. They couldn't. Hanley was just so many. I love it when he does his kind of look over the shoulder, smirking at whichever little fly of a centre forward or midfield player has tried to get round him as he's, you know, shuffled the ball out of play. The, the, the two of them, Hanley and Gibson, I've, they have to go now. They have to go down now as top two at best if not top one centre-back pairings that they just they're imperious together it was interesting actually because I thought I thought in the game in at Brentford they struggled a little bit with Tony um that he got some really good opportunities and they were ch- chasing chasing their defending a little bit and, and Norwich were a little bit fortunate to get away with a point in that game so I was conscious of how they would deal with it uh, yesterday but I thought I thought the way they defended the box was superb and, and you can nullify Brentford if you do that because Ivan Tony is such a colossal threat for them. I mean, you know that they said you can ask and bend one in from 25 yards, but you you know, that's sort of high high stakes at, at that point. So um the way Norwich set up to counter Brentford's strengths, I thought, and then carrying it out was hugely promising for wherever it is they're heading, I think, because um it was it was game management on a on a different level to what we've seen. Because even at Ellen Road at Le- against Leeds two seasons ago, you, you had a, a lead side that was already um wobbling and pushing it. And I mean I suppose you could argue that Brentford are, are possibly in that frame themselves, but they you know, Brentford were, were were good in the first fifteen minutes. They really broke Norwich's um, press quite easily, and and it was the most exposed Norwich have looked like at the back for for a while. But they still defended that box so well. Maybe apart from Sergi Canos's um, one opportunity in the box. So um, certainly, I, I I'm really struggling to look too far forward. I have to be honest, gents. So I, I you can you can say how unlikely it is two players get injured, but I, you know it's like 13 games and anything can happen. So I don't want to even think about it. But um, and likewise next season, I, I don't know. It's hard really to gauge what what Grant and Ben would look like in the Premier League on a on a week to week basis. But certainly they have been hugely influential this year and they're such a lovely combination of a bit of pace, a bit of culture, um, both confident on the ball and able to step out. They're both strong in the air um, and Grant Halley reads a game well. Um, they're, yeah, they're a lovely combination. They're probably the most naturally um, you know, complementary pairing we've had in a, in a very long time at centre-back. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. And uh, it speaks to the coaching. I think we've, we've mentioned this before, John, um, Tetty's emergence as being able to play passes that quite often go in the direction he intends to um, when that wouldn't be the case a few years ago. Um, Hanley, dare I say it, seems to have developed a lot in that that regard. I know he's had a much longer run in the game now, run, run in the team now than he's ever had before. But even when we've seen him for six, seven games at a time, we've not seen him doing little drag backs and, and fakes and dummies to, you know, fool the, the press and, and, and enable Norwich to play out. Like, for example, last night, several times, the, the conference with which he's playing is football. But that suggests that, that he, he's been coached up, wouldn't you say? I, I definitely agree with that. And I think it some of it was probably born out of necessity because it, I think it was the Middlesbrough game, and Michael will probably know better than me, but I'm sure it was the Middlesbrough game that that there was a deliberate tactic to nullify Ben Gibson and to actually not give him much space and to press him really early and to stop 
those kind of direct balls into into midfielders or attacking midfielders um so that we could turn quickly and you know and we could get in and, in and behind teams and teams have seen that and i think it's been noticeable that the other sides have looked to to press gibson um or to to make sure that he can't play those kind of considered zipped kind of passes into midfield with the with the kind of frequency that he'd like to and he's off, very often having to go to fullback but Hanley can do it and Hanley's had to do it. And I think probably Daniel Farkas had a look at that on the training pitch and tried to ensure that he is able to do it with, with the kind of um, accuracy that is required. And there was, I think there was a, a ball last night where he just kind of clipped it out to left back and, and Yanoulis kind of went on and he, he'd kind of springboarded an, an attack off the back of that. And I thought you wouldn't have seen the Grant Hanley of, of 18, 19 or, or, you know, kind of the, um, you know, or last season, be able to do that to, to be able to execute it so some of it comes from confidence so as you say I think most of it probably comes from really good coaching and, and then working with him um, but yeah he's been an absolute revelation this season and, and talking of revelations you know I, I think I'd probably like to mention um, Kenneth the mayor as well at this point as well because as regular listeners will know I, I perhaps haven't been his biggest fan but he's just well, he's in the form of his Norwich career, and I presume he's probably in the form of his his career. Full stop. That guy last night was phenomenal and has been phenomenal for for quite a while now. It's just we talk about Hanley and and Gibson working well together, but that it's just him and Skip gel so well together. I haven't seen defensive midfield pairings or you know kind of midfield pairings work so well together for a significant period of time as well, and it's just. You kind of worry um, that if we don't get Oliver Skip back next season, then we're not we're not going to see the two of them in the flesh together, which would be a great shame. Yeah, I, I think I was going to say, you know, it's, it's certainly not a revelation to me. I, I've been standing standing for for Kenny full stop. I, I couldn't understand any of the the the, the small minority of criticism or, or him being third fourth choice in most people's minds. In you know, sorry, in some people's minds earlier in the season. Yeah. A fully fit Kenny playing in the middle, you know, not not in the ten, is a, a, just a sight to behold. Um, and there was a couple of times earlier in in, in the first half where, actually, I, I think it took us a while. The, the, I took our front th- sort of three, if you like, a while to wake up. There was a couple of really intelligent balls Kenny clipped through um, last night in the first half, and and they hadn't made the right run, and they weren't they weren't alive to it. Um, and uh, yeah, for, for for ninety minutes end to end, he he just played like a man possessed, and there were, he was making back covering ground in just a faster way than ever, and and like you say, skip with the ninety fifth minute sliding block with his back, um, you know, when a there's almost something when a lone player is putting his body on a, on on a line like that, and when a lone player is showing the kind of conscientiousness and 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 concentration and spirit in the dying embers it's almost more impressive in a way when you know that he's on loan it's just what a, what a loan signing um you know if if we go on to to win especially if we go on to win the league by you know with 104 points or something um it, it's got to go up there with Huckabee in terms of a transformational kind of and memorable for maybe 10 15 20 years we're going to remember even if he doesn't stay, we don't get to keep him for another year's loan next year it, we are all going to remember the, the the year that that 
because at the moment he's on to play every game, right? So we we could be talking in ten years about. Do you remember that young lad we had from Tottenham, or you know, you know Skip, who's now you know the England captain or in the England team every every week. Um, he's uh, yeah, we had him and he bossed the championship. Yeah, no, it's insane. He was in the second flight once and he played for Norwich. You know, really impressive. Uh, one thing that I wanted to talk about, Michael. Obviously, there were no fans there last night. One thing that occurred to me, I realised halfway through the second half how unnervous I was. I was a bit nervous to start with because, you know, they did have a couple of early chances. And like I say, the front line seemed to be a bit slow to get started. And then we grew into the game and, and you know, did, did did enough and shut up shop. Second half, I never really felt too nervy until, the you know, um, their tin pot long, long balls into their box and their tin pot long throws towards the end of the game. What what was it? What what do you think it would have been like had we have had a house full? Do you think that it, it might have been a nervier, a nervier kind of feel, and might that have transferred to the players? Um, because they didn't yeah. seem nervous. No, I yeah, I think I mean it was the the start of the second half. They were a bit sloppy, and I was I was like, you, they need to sort of wake themselves up from here, which they did, and you know, eventually, and, and they were fine. I suppose it's it's very swings and roundabouts. I, I find it hard to compare. You know, football with and without fans because they just they're just so different. I mean, you, you different sports. Just, it's a, it's a, yeah, exactly. And I think um, you know, for for all the nervousness there might have been, you could have said that the crowd would have absolutely driven them on in certain periods as well. That the, the whole you know they may not have stopped, started sort of in those first 10, 15 minutes a bit sloppily, even though they had the best first you know, the best chance, uh, best opening chance. Um, so you know it. it it's it's a bit of both really um and I, I i i struggle to even remember what it's like really being at football matches when there are people in there to be honest because it's it's so the 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 impact of the end of last season was was pretty horrid and um it it's probably helped norwich a lot that there hasn't been any hangover other than the hangover in the players heads this season um to to, to get their you know to get themselves right and, and back on an even keel in the championship i think i think ultimately it's probably been a been a, a beneficial exercise having fans in because they've still produced the late winners they've still done the things where you'd have said well the crowd have kind of you know dragged them through over the line here and that and the other well they've kind of managed to do that themselves and therefore they've had all the they've managed to be without the positive impacts and therefore not having the negative side of it means that they've sort of not had that dragging them down so um so I think um, it would have been a it would have been a different game, but I, I struggle to kind of judge any of it um, on, on what it might have been like with fans. I did just want to say on Grant Hanley, if I may, I think I think that the Middlesbrough the Middlesbrough game that you mentioned, John, I think had Emmy Buendia not been sent off with half an hour to go, you know, it was, it, there was every possibility Norwich would have got grown really strong in the end of that game with eleven mm. v eleven and won it, and then no one would have really been going, "Oh, look! All you need to do is just let Grant Hanley have the ball all the time." <laughs> so I think um, it it didn't really help Grant. I suppose that the narrative was, "Well, Norwich couldn't do it for sixty minutes because of how Middlesbrough did it," and after that, you know, it was it was a different game anyway. But also, I mean, he once he had his groin operation. And and started playing at the sort of start of 2020. He looked a he looked a much more comfortable, dynamic defender then at Premier League level. I thought what the, the, the biggest issue was that he did his hamstring just before project restart, and that was a huge blow for him and I think everyone. And I, I honestly think there's nothing to say that maybe we wouldn't have seen a better Grant Hanley over the course of the rest of last season as well. So, um, but fair play because he's put the effort in. He's 
you know, got himself sorted from a from a really niggling injury that I think hampered him a lot, along with a lack of game time. And um, certainly, he's he's showing just what he's capable of, and he's still only really at his peak as well, which is good because he seems to have been around for about forty years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he must have been what twenty one, twenty two in that Blackburn team because I remember him playing for Blackburn and thinking he looked like a player. And you know, he, I think he probably was. He probably looked thirty four when he was a toddler. Um, but he's trimmer. I mean, obviously you're seeing him in, in, in real life. We're only seeing him on, on the screens at the moment. He, he, he looks trimmer. Does that, does that carry out to to your life? Yeah. I think so. And, and, and just, yeah, just more, I I do think he's more mobile now, whether he's mobile enough for when he comes up against um, Mason Greenwood and whoever, then we'll find out hopefully next year. But yeah, he certainly, I think, I think they all look in peak physical condition, to be honest. And actually, now that everyone's... And I did I did write this at the time. They got through all of their injury issues. And what that did was give a lot of players a sort of a three-week break. And it wasn't ideal because Nor- Norwich were screwed in terms of their options. But they, they kind of got through it. And actually, now they are in a really good fitness position. Everyone's kind of had a, a break. They've all broken down, but then built themselves back up fitness-wise. And the squad is in really good health. And I think... Uh, I think Kenny McLean said to said to me, or it might have been Chris Gorham last night. You know, they 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 feel they're the fittest team in the division, and you'd have to say that the strength that they're generally finishing games, they don't really look physically caught out by anyone, which again is really promising. Kenny's Kenny's engine is is out of this world, and and he he the way he flies about and stands up, and you know he's he's almost balletic in the way he covers covers the the midfield area. Um, so last night we didn't have Campwell. Um, and I was a bit worried after the the weekend. Um, I, I felt that the O'Neill was was a bit of a weak link. Um, I mean, he's he he carries such a an attacking threat when he when he's on. Obviously, with the pace and the directness that no one really else has in in the squad, really. Um, and I, I was really heartened to see that some of the rust. He's, you know, he's not played much football, has he, in the last eighteen months? Last year, sorry. Um, and some of that rust seemed to have been knocked off. I, th- I thought he was far more effective last night. Um, still not back to his best, but it was. I think we missed Cantwell less than we did against Wickham. Do you think, um, John? Yeah, I'd, I'd kind of be inclined to agree that we we missed Cantwell less than against Wickham. But I think you probably, in my mind anyway, I think you're doing a, Hernandez a disservice, um, you know, for his, his performance at the weekend. And I think maybe the fact that. You know, he wasn't quite at it. Was amplified by the fact that he missed a couple of really presentable chances that you'd have expected. You know, most most players to take in his position, and it would have put us out of sight in terms of the the fixture. And you know, there wouldn't have been any kind of late nerves, which there wasn't too many. But you know, whenever you're you're only one goal to the good going into the dying embers of a game, you know, it can be an issue. Um, but no, I thought he was he was okay at Wickham, and he and he carried enough threat for me. And he was he was kind of even if. Todd had been um, available for selection, there was probably an argument that, that he should have retained his place. Um, but at the same time, Todd's been unbelievable over the last kind of month or so. And, and we talked about it last time on, on the pod. I think some of it is just his confidence in him raising his levels because Emmy Buendia, you know, kind of raises everyone's levels. Some of it, I think, is the fact that he kind of realises that he needs to work a little bit harder to be at Emmy's level as well. And he kind of shows for the ball a lot more than he was doing earlier in the season and you know he's he's way more effective in terms of his overall play I think because there's just there's a bit of an extra zip to him and I don't know whether that comes from 
from confidence or or whatever it is but you know he's been terrific and it's a nice dilemma for for Daniel Farker probably to have for this weekend's fixture because if you you know if he goes and drops Hernandez now um and we're kind of working on the assumption that that Cantwell will be fit for the weekend um Hernandez, I think, could would have every right to be really, really aggrieved because he's just been part of probably yeah, the most controlled and complete team performance that that we've put in this season. Um, so, you know, it's it's testament to to him that he was part of that, but it's it's also testament to the squad that we've built. And you know, Michael, you've just talked about players being able to have three week breaks, and, and although we were down to the bare bones. And, you know, there wasn't much wriggle room in terms of what we did. We could put out an 11, which was essentially pretty much, you know, kind of all players who've who've been there and done it in the championship before. Brentford, you know, they've they've had their injury woes and I think that's contributed to, to their recent loss of form and actually probably a lot of why they were less effective, I think, last night than, than perhaps in the return fixture was their wide players. I mean, I think... Um, Josh Silva was probably their best player for me when we played them away. Um, you know, and, and obviously he was absent. You've got Rico Henry, who, you know, we're kind of repeatedly told is probably one of their most effective players in terms of the way they play. So they're less able to deal with those injury crises, whereas actually Norwich now, and it's, it is, you know, kind of all power to to um, Stuart Weber really that that they had the foresight to assemble a squad like this because they knew, you know, it was it was going to be a relentless fixture schedule and there were going to be injuries and there was probably going to be COVID outbreaks, um, you know, in the squad. And actually it's paying dividends now. I think there's been a lot said about the um, the togetherness um, and the coaching from the sidelines, you know, the, the, the pundits, the lads like you, Michael, that have been allowed to be in and around the, the stadium. Um, we were talking last night about the what wasn't necessarily picked up on the sky cameras or the eye follow coverage, the, you know, Hugel and Tetty stalking the touchline, you know, roaring the team on and, and encouraging throughout. And I think that is, that is helped by the fact that because of COVID and injuries, almost everyone in the squad has had solid minutes this season, you know, either two or three starts in a row here or some, some solid kind of 30 minute sub appearances there because of other people not being available or, or what have you. And I think you're completely right, John, there is no way, barring injury or illness, that the O'Neill won't won't start. He doesn't change a winning team. He never has done. You know, he he won't do. And and I actually think those those two chances you talked about weren't. Oh, O'Neill should really be scoring them. It was a fully fit, fully up to speed and in rhythm. O'Neill doesn't try and shoot, especially the second one. He rolls Timo in for a tap in. You know that they, 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 he both times he, he took on shots, um, and I think that's when I when I we've seen this before when O'Neill is getting back into the team from an injury, he tries to do a little bit too much at the end of of his runs, sort of the shemi factor, if you like, um, where, where really a, a simple layoff to a, a, a teammate, and all of a sudden it's an incredible piece of wing play as opposed to a disappointing chance that was actually really difficult to to squeeze through a, a crowd of bodies who have moved towards him because he's got on this run where he's cut across the, the edge of the box, which he does quite a lot. But the whole point is, well, well done. You've attracted three or four people to close you down, which means Timu or Emmy or whoever is now screaming for it and stood in space. So 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 try and kind of thread that pass. Um, Michael, I want to draw your attention to the running. Um there's 12 games left and looking at the different looking at the different options um that we've got available fixture wise i'm going to look at the three teams um directly beneath norwich at the moment to see whether or not a 10 point cushion is going to be enough um 
which sounds like a bit of a mental sentence anyway, but you know, let, let's, let's try and, and count as few chickens as we can. Um, I actually think Watford have got the hardest running. Um, again, it's on paper, but at this stage of the season, paper actually does tend to mean something because you don't tend to be in the wrong position in the table after this many games. So it's not like we're making these predictions in the first week. But, you know, they, they finish with Norwich, um, Brentford and Swansea in their last four. Um, so that's, that's not, a, you know, and you know, let's have it right. They're going to need points right up to the end. Then, you know, they're not going to be in a position of being 10 points clear or whatever by the end. Um, they have Reading just before that as well. Uh, Borough. Um, uh, who are obviously very, very challenging. And, you know, we, we know that other people like Rotherham and Luton can have a performance on their day. But, you know, let's just focus on the teams who we know are up there and, and going to be fighting for something. Um, they've got to play Cardiff in two games as well. And Cardiff are effectively Real Madrid at this point. Um, <laughs> so um, Watford's running looks really tricky. Um, looking at Swansea, I would then say that they've got the second most challenging one. Again, they play Reading. Obviously, they've got that Watford Watford fixture on the um, on the last game of the season. Which you know, wouldn't it be it'd be nice to be tuning into that as a neutral with nothing to play for, and that be a kind of decisive you know second versus third. That would be a really exciting game to watch. Um, uh, and then they've also got um, the steam train that is Cardiff. They've also got Bournemouth in a in a couple of games, so that's a tricky one. Brentford then is in, again on paper slightly easier. They've got Bournemouth. They've got Watford. Um, they've got Cardiff, but other than that, it's it's similar to Norwich's in a way, in that they've got um, uh, uh, Blackburn, Forest, Derby, Huddersfield, Preston, Millwall. These are all teams that, uh, other than Millwall, they're all teams that Nor- Norwich have got. So mostly mid-table fare that are not going up or down. Um, so with, with that in mind, let, let's try and be as let's try and be as car- cup half empty and try not to kind of go too soon with this. Where can it all go wrong for Norwich? Aside from catastrophic injury crisis, where where in that that final running do you think we could effectively have a four game you know lead snatched away from us? Well, I think I'm I'm reasonably confident about the Luton game because I think I think Norwich owe them one, so the idea of them being complacent against Liverpool Luton is is is, is unlikely. So I think once you get after that, it is like well. Are Sheffield Wednesday going to be winless under Darren Moore? How how it's going to be between their own ears, really, at that point. They've got, um, I mean, Forrest away against Chris Hutton. I mean, that's going to be tight, and that that was awkward. Now, I think I, a lot of the time where people have been a bit um, worried about Norwich's results recently, I think people have tended to forget that the, the the fixtures against those teams earlier in the season were just as sticky. I mean, the game at Middlesbrough was decided by a penalty and Norwich could have easily have been behind to a penalty before that. Norwich drew nil-nil with Millwall at home. And, you know, it was a pretty much identical game really at the Den, only Millwall were a bit stronger in the last 10 minutes at home, which you'd probably expect. So I think... Um, and obviously they they came during the, the the blip as it's now being referred to, but you know they they weren't particularly different fixtures to to games earlier in the season. So I think um, going to Preston over Easter, yeah, I would imagine Norwich will hopefully be pretty close to eighty points, and then Daniel Farker can concede that Norwich will be in the playoffs. <laughs> um, <laughs> come come that point, and um, they've got I think it's uh, Huddersfield at home. I mean Norwich have have got a potentially easy run in. Um, let's be honest, uh, in terms of their remaining fixtures. They do play Bournemouth and Watford in the space of four days, both at Carrow Road in the middle of April. So, you know, 
much in the way that I looked at the Brentford game and thought, like, I want you to, I want you to put to bed a team that's really up there this season. Um, you know, those two games against the two teams who are still as strong as anyone I've seen Norwich play this season, and obviously were relegated alongside them. That they're going to be fascinating games, regardless of where Norwich are. And I think also we're all very happy that it's a 10 point gap, but the reality is if Swansea keep getting penalties like they did last night, you know, they are only five points behind with, if they win their two games in hand. Um, and Watford, Watford seem to be in a place now where they will just keep going. I, I don't know what, it, I don't know why I think that because they've been so inconsistent, but I, I can just see them sort of getting themselves together. I and, agree. Um, I, I, I think Watford are the, the most likely to come up second. Um, I worry a bit about Brentford, I must admit, because at this point, as you say, they've got a few injuries. I agree with um, you, I think, John, it was said that, that Josh De Silva, I think he's one of the best players in the division, actually. Um, and I worry that they're going to start remembering what happened last year. And um, whereas Norwich can only remember going and winning it two years ago, you know, Brentford have got a lot tougher um, memories to, to deal with in that regard. And and Watford are, are, a, are a strong side. Um, so I, I think what I would like is just Norwich to keep going, keep their focus, because I do believe they've got the gears and, and the, the confidence and the, the, the quality and the squad depth. They literally have everything to keep doing what they're doing as long as they keep their heads. And then it should really come down to two or three teams battling it off, you know, battling between themselves to finish behind them. And that's always a fun thing to watch so that's probably the best case scenario i'm not gonna worry about the worst <laughs> well the, the, these that yeah i mean the, the if we match the results of um which is always a good way to think about it when you've got a bit of a cushion um you know l- let's give swansea those two those two games um in hand and they win them both which you know they haven't been doing previously um you know, Brent, you know Brentford won some games in hand and then promptly you know had a had a much bigger blip than our blip not all blips are created equal um we play them in we played Bournemouth and Watford that kind of double whammy uh I think that it will be one of those two games in which we clinch the promotion because if we just match the chasing pack um for the remainder of um, the games up to that point. So effectively, um, that's with the Bournemouth game is, is five games to go. So that effectively means over the next seven games, if we, within a point or two here or there, basically just match the results of the chasing pack of three, we're going to need maybe a one win or one or, or maybe a couple of draws at that point in order to in order to, to to seal automatic. Okay, the title might come a week or two later, depending on what happens with those games in hands with Swansea. But um, even if you, even if we bear in mind that we are, it's only actually really if we think about it, it's only third that we need to finish above. Therefore, it, it is a ten point gap. It's not a five point gap because even if Swansea do win their two games in hand, the best of the rest is ten points, right? So, really, for for promotion, I think therefore, if you take away the three games we can afford to lose, Barnsley, Reading, QPR, last three games of the season. In theory, we we therefore just need to match results for the next seven seven or eight games, and then a draw against Bournemouth, a draw against Watford, maybe where we clinch it. And I actually am quite bullish with the run we've got. And I think we will clinch it by beating Bournemouth at home. Where do you think we will clinch it and why? Or do you think we'll fuck it up? Punt. No, we're not fucking this up. I mean, there's there's no doubt in my mind that Norwich, you know, and I had some doubt in my mind probably a couple of podcasts ago, but there's no doubt in my mind now with the, the phenomenal run of form that we're on that you didn't. Well done. Um, it's um, 
it'll be interesting to see how it pans out because the next what five six you know kind of maybe even seven games are against teams that are kind of either ensconced safely in mid-table or are kind of on the periphery of a, a relegation battle um, and they're the, the kind of teams I guess that that you probably want to play because they're going to be slightly less bothered about about their positions at the moment so it's it is about Norwich keeping their heads I genuinely think you know we could quite easily go and make this this six game um, winning run a a nine or a ten game winning run or we could continue it into you know kind of a really long unbeaten run and if we do that then it's going to be I think you're probably right in terms of ballpark promotion you, you might be looking at something like uh, the Watford game because then that's three games left um, and you know beyond well, that if it, well top- if it was the Watford game mate then that means we've basically conceded three three points or four points over the next um, yeah it means we, it basically means that we will drop by four points over the next uh, seven games, we will be caught by four points. What? Uh, there'll be three then, games then, left there, though, then. So there's nine points teams could catch us. So, yeah. So we're 10 clear at the moment um, of third. Yeah, I, th- I think around about then would probably be about right because um, Norwich don't generally like to make things really, really simple. You know, there'll they'll be a bump in the road that, that we don't foresee. But, yeah, so I'm, I'm going to go for Watford. Yeah, so I've said Bournemouth. You've said Watford. I, I, I think we will lose a couple of games in this in this next kind of six or seven. But the point is, I also think so will Swansea, Brentford, and Watford. I, I don't think anyone is doing seven wins on the bounce from 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 here to to, to that, that those games in April. So yeah, I've, I've gone Bournemouth. You've gone Watford, John. What do you reckon, Michael? Oh, I, um. It's right. It's not being recorded or anything. I don't. I don't really. Am I allowed? To, I don't care. Am I allowed to say that? I don't. Um, Good Friday. Is that even possible? That's not even possible, is it? But you know, it's a nice day. I, I'm just conscious of. Um, you, you know, you throw out, oh, they might lose a game here and a game there. But at, at this stage of the season, if if you are going to have a wobble, it will be one game and then a domino effect. And so I think that. As 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 plain sailing as things maybe feel at the moment, it, it doesn't take a lot for psychology and, and the championship to start playing funny games. Um, well, if you if you, you're, so. you've gone Preston on Good Friday, I mean, if I mean it's not, if, I don't even think that's mathematically possible to be honest. But uh, well, it, well, it depends on the other results. I mean, if we if we were to win the next four in a row and make it a ten ten game winning streak, we'd um, be on eighty five points. So you'd pretty much be there, wouldn't you? Yeah, without yeah, being I mean, mathematically there. But yeah. I just yeah, like the idea of it being if, Good if, Friday. That's it, literally. That's yeah, no, it. that would be that would be excellent. Uh, but yeah, so if we won that, that would then be a, that would be fifteen points. So fifteen points from what are we on now? Oh, Seven, eighty-eight. What? Eighty-eight. Then yeah, we'd be on, yeah so, that'd be so done. Effect, yeah, eighty-eight. You basically need. We would need two points probably to be mathematical from the next however many games, the, the next seven games, um, and again that's based on the others all winning all of those games as well, which I I, I just fundamentally don't think you're going to have because it never happens. You you don't get the three or four teams winning seven in a row. You know, one or two goes on a little run here and there, just as it has been all season. But the one thing the the one thing that makes me the one thing that I'm setting up and tempting fate, although I'm not because we've already talked about potential twisted fates, but there's just something about this Norwich City team and the very, very, very business-like way that we have done one goal wins here, one goal wins there. And yes, there's been a lot of one goal wins, but there's not been that many nervy one goal wins, really. There's been quite a few where, like last night, we, we 
genuinely could have got five goals last night. Genuinely could have done. Like it, there were so many good shots. I mean, Pookie again, he could have had back to back hat tricks in the last two games easily. Um, and uh, I, I just think that this might be a season where they they actually kind of do do it the simple way. They they you know because I can't I can't see us going on a, on on the. I can't see us going on the kind of four or five game losing streak with the squad, with the experience that we've got, because if we did have a couple of injuries, unless it was literally like a, you know, unless Hanley and Gibson run into each other and break each other's leg, you know, I'd be comfy if Zimmerman had to play the last seven games. I'd be comfy if Hugel had to deputise for Pukki for the last, because they've all had minutes. They've all, they've all scored, you know, if that's their job, they've all, you know, if Rupp had to come in for, for McLean or, or skip for the, for the last few games, yeah, that would be a massive downgrade, but he's still played loads whoa, of minutes whoa, and, he's, whoa. And, and is a, Oh, come on against the, compared to <laughs> any, anyone compared to those two is a massive downgrade. But the point is that I think the rest of the team has got enough so I, I just, you know, we're we, we all barring unbelievable run of bad luck and Swansea getting penalties like they did last night every time. You know, even if even if Swansea won every game for the rest of the season, I can't see them catching five. I don't think we're going to drop another five points. I just don't think we are, um, which is a nice place to be in. So, Michael, thank you so much for spending the time looking back on Brentford and looking ahead to the running. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. Do it again, hopefully. Mm. Yes, and uh, Punt, thank you ever so much for um, committing to uh, it being Watford when, when we see it. We'll see who was closest. Um, you're being held to the fact that you think it's going to be Preston on Good Friday, Michael. Um, and, <laughs> and what a good um, Friday it will be. It certainly will be. We will catch you again very, very soon. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the game against Luton and mind how you go. Mm.